You're listening to teaching from Central Church in West Columbia, South Carolina. We hope that this message will help you experience Jesus in a new and exciting way. For more information, please visit us at centralnazarene.org. Good morning, good morning. And it is a beautiful morning. And um, I did see my first <clears throat> 70 degree day predicted pretty soon. Only uh, it's going to be an overcast day, but I did see 70 degrees, and that uh, caused me to get excited, uh, at least for the moment. So I look forward to that day for it to arrive. And, uh, but anyway, so glad that you're here, and um, pray that the Lord will give us a, a word to share this morning that will be helpful, be edifying, be challenging uh, for you today. Perhaps you have heard this expression, it is to die for. Uh, there are very few things in this life that's worth dying for. Uh, generally, when I've heard that expression used, it's over something like chocolate cake. Or I've heard ladies say that about a dress. Well, I don't think anybody is going to die for chocolate cake or a dress. Uh, not in their sound mind anyway. It's, it's, the, uh, it's the extreme uh, hyperbole that is to die for. But I want to ask you, it does beg the question when you hear that said, what are you living for? What in the world are you living for? I hope that you're not just living, like in some kind of uh, automatic operation mode, but you have purpose and meaning in your life, and, and what you are living for is worth dying for. Because one thing is for sure, we're all going to go that way. Many of us I have experienced uh, death in our families, and it's, it's uh, way up in my thinking right now, of course. So um, what are you living for, and is what you are living for, is it worth dying for? When it comes time to die, will you uh, have a sense of accomplishment and a purpose? And uh, that will be something that uh, you will not have lament as that time comes. Someone who dies for a cause, we generally call them a martyr. You see that from time to time. He was a martyr for his faith. We don't see that so much uh, in Christianity in the Western world. However, we do read about it quite a bit in other parts of the world. Many this very day, in this very week, this very year, have died for their faith. It might be interesting to note that uh, the first Christian martyr was not a pastor, was not a bishop, was not an apostle, but it was a very devout, God-fearing, spirit-filled layman. You'll read about him in the book of Acts, chapter 6 and chapter 7. And it's a long story there, and it's about Stephen. He was a man of faith and of the Spirit. So I point you to that text and ask you to read it. Uh, it's a long text. I won't take time to read it all. And trust that you are familiar enough as I go through the sermon this morning that you'll be able to track with me. If nothing else, you can have your Bible open to Acts chapter 6 and Acts chapter 7, and uh, you can read along as we move through the sermon this morning. Now, I have faced, I've mentioned before, I have may face some opposition to my faith in various circles, particularly as I work in the, uh, in the public sector. There are those who uh, live a, a, uh, 
a rebel kind of life, and if you live a, or even try to live a godly life, your life can be a reproof to someone who lives a, a, a kind of a reprobate kind of life, just living and carousing uh, in a corrupt kind of way, and your very presence uh, is, is um, not pleasant to them. And I've experienced some of that. And maybe in the context of that, there may even have been some slight persecution, but uh, it would be hard to put it in that category. And so maybe, maybe you have uh, experienced those kinds of things as well. We call Stephen the uh, first Christian martyr because he was the first believer to die for his faith. Now in the beginning, the, uh, to be a martyr uh, did not mean that you died. It, it, it simply meant that you were a witness. That's what the word means. Um, in, in the first century, if you were a martyr, it simply meant that you are a witness to a thing. And um, in fact, it is the very word in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 where Jesus says um, that, that you will be filled with the Spirit and you will become my witnesses uh, throughout the earth. The word there in Acts chapter 8 and verse, uh, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 is the word martus from which we get the word martyr. So uh, that's what he's saying. You will be my witnesses uh, when you are filled with the Spirit of God. And so, but as time moved on, uh, the word became commonly translated martyr, <clears throat> one who died for their faith. So, uh, um, Stephen, Stephen didn't become a martyr because he died. He, he died because he was a martyr. He was a witness to his faith. Uh, he found something worth dying for. And I would urge you today that you will examine your life and just ask yourself this question, is what I'm living for worth dying for? Life is so profound. It is of such deep meaning that I hope and pray that you don't just pass through it asleep, but that you will live with great purpose and meaning uh, as, you, as you live life. And it will be rich, and it will be fulfilling, and it will have purpose. And you'll be able to overcome all kinds of obstacles if you just know what your purpose is. Now, we run into Stephen in Acts chapter 6, where there is some difficulty in the early church, where the, um, the uh, Hellenistic church was uh, felt a little bit slighted because the Hebrew church was not taking care of the widows as they thought that they should. And so it, it caused a little bit of discontent in the church. So what the disciples asked was that those at the, at the uh, Hellenistic church would find among them some God-fearing men, men that were of a good reputation that the people trusted, and then they would be appointed to be deacons. They would serve, serve they would, they would uh, organize the food and they would serve and they would serve the church, and they would serve the body. <coughs> Excuse me. And so uh, they found, and the Bible lists them, uh, and Stephen is one of the seven who was chosen. And uh, of, these, of these seven men that were chosen, I remember as I was reading this, I was, uh, it was uh, Senator Dianne Feinstein, when uh, Amy Comey Barrett was up for hearing whether she would be uh, passed through the Senate's hearing to be appointed to a, a, a court 
um, a federal court in the United States. And I remember listening to uh, a clip of Diane Feinstein saying to Amy Comey Barrett, uh, the dogma lives strong in you. What she was saying is, your faith lives very loud in you. And that kind of bothered uh, the senator. And it, it became, it is, it is said to be true that the faith lives strong in now Supreme Court Amy Comey Barrett. You want that to be said of you. You don't want to be one of which no one would know that your faith is even a part of your life. What kind of a faith is that? What kind of a life is that? When your faith isn't even known by your closest associates, but your faith should live loud in you, and that in turn makes you a witness. Stephen was one who was overflowing in the Scriptures and with the Spirit. What a powerful combination. One who the Scriptures live strong in and the Spirit lives strong in, that person will be a witness. And so I would urge you, I would, I would compel you that, that that would be something that marks your life. A powerful combination. Thank you, sir. I was just thinking about that. I just happened to look down there to see if I had a bottle of water there, and I didn't. And for some reason, when I come up here, something catches me. Maybe it's the, the vent. I don't know. But I should always think of that. Thank you, Perry. So Stephen's life, the combination of, of a man of respect, a man of integrity, and a man of trustworthiness, compounded with being rich in the Word and, and overflowing with the Spirit, makes for a powerful, a compelling, and effective witness. Now let me say that again. Someone who lives a life of integrity, who is trustworthy, who is looked up, up, up to by those who are around him or her, who have, are full of the Scripture, who are full of the Spirit, make for a compelling, powerful, compelling, effective witness. But because of that, as maybe you have experienced in your life, some opposition came to Stephen. Just because you're doing a good thing doesn't mean everyone's going to applaud for you. If you're doing a good thing, it just could be that there will be those who rise in opposition to you. And so there were those of the synagogue of the freemen who, uh, who rose against Stephen. Now, what, what, uh, what I need to explain is that in, in, uh, in the Jerusalem area, the larger Jerusalem area, and in Israel, there were generally two sects or two schools of, of, of Jewish people. There were, there were the um, more orthodox Jews, um, and then there were the, what we call the Hellenistic Jews. Now, the Orthodox Jews were generally those who, who, uh, who were born and reared and who lived in Jerusalem and in Israel and were largely influenced by Jewish culture and custom and tradition. The Hellenistic Jews were Jews that had been dispersed throughout the region, in Egypt, in, 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 uh, in, uh, in the um, uh, Asia Minor area and, and the areas just outside of Israel. Those were often called Hellenistic Jews. And what that means is they were heavily influenced by Greco-Roman culture. Now, they remained Jews, and they obeyed. The, they, they came to temple, they had their synagogues, and they worshipped. But they may pass off for Romans just as well as they would for Jews. They wore Roman clothes. They spoke Greek instead of Hebrew. Uh, and the, the more Hebraic, uh, Jews of Jerusalem area probably spoke Aramaic. 
And so there was this uh, division, and the, the, more, the more orthodox Jews looked at the Hellenistic Jews as perhaps more liberal, more, more worldly. They wore Roman clothes. They had Roman haircuts. They spoke the Greek language and not, not the Hebrew language. They probably knew Hebrew, but they were probably men of commerce and of business. And, and, and uh, because Greek was the dominant language, they spoke that often. And probably it could have probably been their first language. And so they were looked down upon by, by those of, of, uh, of the more orthodox sects. So there was this tension. So here comes Stephen. Now Stephen was a Hellenistic Jew. So he probably looked more like a Roman than he did like, like a Jew. He probably dressed in the garb and the, the attire of Romans and he spoke Greek. So he was a Hellenistic Jew. So there were some, some Jews who were not Christians, who were of the synagogue of the freedmen. And, they, and Stephen, being a Hellenistic Jew, and the, the, the Jews of the Hellenistic synagogue, took opportunity through Stephen to bring accusation against one of their own. Stephen was a Jew, and he was a Hellenistic Jew. Those of the synagogue of the freedmen were Jews, and they were Hellenistic Jews. And it is thought that maybe to gain favor with their more Hebraic custom uh, uh, brothers in Jerusalem, they brought accusation against Stephen and charged him with uh, blasphemous kinds of charges. Um, they charged him with two things, two, two very, very serious issues. One is that he spoke against the temple, and two, that he spoke against the law of Moses. Jesus was charged with those two same things, um, that he uh, spoke against the temple in three days. He will, Jesus, they, they charged Jesus of, tearing, of, of, of saying that he would tear down the temple, but what he was talking about was his body, and he talked about the law of Moses. They charged Stephen with the same thing, in that Stephen was saying the law was fulfilled in the person of Jesus, and that God does not dwell in buildings made with men's hands, but he lives in the hearts of, of men and of women. Well, if these two accusations are leveled, leveled against you, and you are charged and you are convicted, you are not going to get shunned. Now, you might get shunned, but that's not going to be the end of it. You're not going to be canceled. You know, we live in a cancel culture. Well, you're not going to get canceled and you're not going to get boycotted. You know, depending on what side of the spectrum you're on, uh, you're going to get boycotted by the other side. Well, none of, those things are th none of those three things are going to happen to you. What's going to happen to you if you get charged with those and you are convicted of those, you're not going to get boycotted. You're going to get killed. That's what's going to happen. So they laid these charges against Stephen, and Stephen perhaps could have remained silent um, but he did it. When the, when the, when the brothers uh, pulled together seven men who would be deacons uh, for their body, uh, the disciples, the apostles, laid their hands on them, and, uh, and Stephen was filled with the Holy Spirit and an anointing to serve the Lord and to serve the church. And... Um, and because of that, what Stephen was supposed to do was to keep the food organized and to make sure the meals were delivered or the food was delivered to the widows. 
But since he was filled with the Spirit of God and filled with the Word of God, you know, if he would have just stayed a deacon, maybe he would have survived. But, you know, when you're filled with the Spirit of God, you might do things that you think you were not called to do. You might do things that you didn't know you had the gift to do. You might do things that completely surprise you when you are moved by the Spirit of God. And so it says that Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, that mighty deeds, mighty signs were brought by him as he served his local church. Now listen to that. Mighty deeds... Mighty, mighty works were accomplished as Stephen served the church. That's, he wasn't an apostle. He, he wasn't a prophet. He was just a regular guy who was looked up to in the local synagogue, in the local church, in the body. But God moved powerfully in his life. Let that speak to you. It doesn't just have to be for Stephen. It can be for me. It can be for you. If we will. If we desire it. So he was full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. So when these charges were laid against him, I was going to say, you know, if Stephen would have just stayed with stirring the soup pot, he might have lived a lot longer. But you never know what's going to happen when the Spirit of God takes over. So, Spirit, so, so Stephen, rather than just being quiet, moving on about his business, he spoke up. And in Acts chapter 7, he gives a powerful sermon. And, uh, and speaks very boldly. You know, this is one of the things that the disciples prayed for as they faced a pagan Roman culture and an antagonistic Jewish culture, is that they prayed, Lord, give us boldness that we may speak of, yours, of, of you and, and of your kingdom and of your Christ. Let us not cower away, but, but let us speak. They charged even of, of uh, saying that the temple should be destroyed and that he did not care and he was careless and he ridiculed our traditions and our customs but what Stephen was saying is that through Christ God was doing a new thing can you not see it can you not behold it so being a martyr begins with being a witness so as Stephen is speaking and he is speaking very powerfully as he is speaking, it says his face shone. And I don't know what was going through Stephen's mind. We're not really told. But he probably had some premonition that he was in trouble. And danger was right around the corner. But he did not cower back. He did not seem to show fear. But he spoke forcefully and he spoke powerfully of the things of God. He spoke forcefully, forcefully and he spoke powerfully. And something happened to Stephen. You know, generally life is made up of just the mundane things of taking care of things. But when you move by the Spirit, you may not even be aware of it. But you're speaking in the, and your words become invigorated by the Spirit of God. And the Word of the Lord, if you're filled with the Word of the Lord and you're speaking the Word of the Lord, and the Spirit of God is moving through your words and through your life, and you are having an audience, you just don't know what will be the outcome of that. But, as the, but as, as, the, uh, as, as the Sanhedrin are listening to these charges made against him, and Stephen is giving his sermon, not even being an apostle, not being a pastor, not being a bishop, he is merely sharing the story of salvation as it's recorded in the books of Moses. His face shone, 
And they are looking at him, those who are in opposition to him, are looking at him, and you can imagine that they are seething. They are, they are moved with hostility. They are moved with anger, and some more quick than others. And as he listens and as he talks, they, are, they, they finally can't take it any longer. They rush at him, and they drag him out of, out of, outside the city gates, and they take him to a place probably where there are stones where others had died before. And I can't imagine what that's like. I, I mean, I can only use my imagination to know he knows what's getting ready to happen. He knows, he knows where he's going. He can see the stones laying up ahead. And he knows that's where they take people to stone them to death. Because when you, when you are charged with blasphemy, you don't get shunned, as I said. You get stoned to death. That is not something that we have any knowledge about, only in pictures or we hear about it. But I can't imagine that experience. And Stephen is taken out from outside the city, and they probably have already uh, begun to gather up some stones. They probably knew ahead of time this is where they were going to go. This is what's going to happen to Stephen. We're going to put an end to this once and for all. Laying hold of him, they drag him outside the city, and they put him in a circle, and they surround him. And they begin to throw rocks at him. Not pebbles, fist-sized rocks. And I cannot imagine when that first stone hit his body or hit him in the head or hit him in the legs, wherever it hit, the, the pain that coursed through his body. But something, something happened to Stephen and his face shone. And you know, you ever talk to somebody and, and you can tell they're looking right at you, but they're not looking at you. You ever had that experience? Or maybe you're not talking to them, you've just become aware of their presence. And they're looking off. They may be looking at the wall, but they're not looking at the wall. They're looking past the wall. They're looking past you. Something like that happened to Stephen. And although he was there and he was surrounded by men who were, who were pelting him with rocks, Something happened, and he began, he saw the crowd, but he saw through the crowd, and it says that his eyes, he looked up to heaven, and he saw the glory of God. Now, I don't know, I don't know how many rocks had to hit him, but he finally fell to his knees. Now, you would think, he might call fire down from heaven to destroy those who were assaulting him, who were intent on killing him. You may have thought that he would ask for mercy. Many other numbers of things may have passed through his mind. But he said, and some were standing nearby, I in fact, in fact, standing nearby, holding the coats, the cloaks of those who were throwing the rocks was a young, zealous Pharisee named Saul who later became Paul. And Saul was watching this ordeal and he saw this one named Stephen giving his life, becoming a martyr for his faith. And he heard, he probably heard Stephen say, look, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. And that just enraged the crowd all the more. And they pelted him all the stronger. And he falls to his knees. And in his last breath, rather than cursing 
those who were killing him, like his Savior before him. He cries out in his last breaths, Father, do not lay this sin against them. And you will recognize those words because of the very words that Jesus spoke from the cross. You see, I want to say right here, I don't know maybe what all you have experienced. I don't know who may have offended you in your life. I don't know who may have hurt you in your life. But that hurt and that offense is not worth holding on to. And I ask you this morning, whatever offense you might have experienced, whatever hurt you may have felt, I ask you to give it away. Let it go. Give it up. Give it to God. Give it to the Father so that you yourself might be healed. So that you can walk free. And that you cannot hold anybody's sin against them. Just as God in Christ's sake has forgiven you of all your sins. And so that your prayers may not be hindered. And so that your witness might not be hindered. Because it's far more important that you be a witness for Jesus. When it says that Stephen looked, it's, a very, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting word. And I'm getting close to the end. It says when, when, when Stephen looked into heaven, the idea is that he looked and everything else faded away so he could look at one thing. That's the idea of the word. He wasn't just in a general way kind of looking. He was looking specifically into the face of Jesus. And it's interesting too. It is interesting to notice that almost in every other occasion I could think of that when it says that as Jesus after his ascension that he is seated at the right hand of the Father which is a place of privilege and a place of power and a place of authority. But in this case, Stephen said, look, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Now the text doesn't say this, but you know, Jesus says, if you, if you will not deny me before men, neither will I deny you before the Father. And I just, I'm just using imagination. I'm just wondering out loud here. You know, as, as Stephen has fallen to his knees, he only has moments to live, and he cries out to the Father, do not hold these sins against them. Jesus stands to his feet. I, the scripture doesn't say this, but it says, I see him standing. And I just wonder, as Stephen is giving witness to those around him, to those who are stoning him, to those who are killing him, to the demonic world that is inciting the crowd, but his voice is lifted to heaven. If Jesus stands to his feet and bears witness to Stephen before his Father and the heavenly host and all the angels and say, this is my son, this is my child, this is my brother. Brothers and sisters, you know, I've, I've read uh, several accounts of those who have, have uh, passed on. I was talking to my, my Aunt Judy not long ago after the passing of my dad. And, and the day before my, my dad left, he was waving bye to my sister. And, but uh, out of just nowhere, he, he was waving like this, and all of a sudden his hand goes up as high as he could reach it. And my sister, my, 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 his sister Judy saw that, and she said, and she just lifted off names of family members who had gone on before. She said, everyone I've ever saw who died in the Lord, their hand has gone up and reaching. I just wonder in that moment, in that moment, if there isn't one who speaks on your behalf and says, this one is mine. Brothers and sisters, you, you want that experience. 
You want to live for something worth dying for. So I want to ask you again one more time, is what you're living for worth dying for? You, you want that in your life. And Jesus, Jesus asked the question, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What, what will it profit a man if he gained the whole world but lose his soul? What will you give exchange for such valuable thing? What petty, temporal, passing thing will you surrender to have that moment, that experience, so that when it comes your time to transition out of this world, you will hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. So I challenge you, like Stephen did, that you will fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, and you will not be distracted by the things in this world which try to allure us. You know, it says of Moses, and I'm in the last couple of paragraphs just to give you some hope. It says of, of Moses, and the, the, the writer of Hebrews says this, Moses chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it better to suffer for the sake of the Messiah than to own the treasures of Egypt for he was looking ahead at the great reward that God would give to him. And that's what it's talking about, looking ahead, seeing the present moment through the word of God, through the promises of God. It says of Abraham in that same chapter, Abraham looked for a city whose foundations and whose builder was God. It says this again in that same chapter, therefore, in light of David, in light of in light of uh, Abraham, in light of Moses, and other saints that it mentions. Therefore, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So I challenge you today. I challenge you today. Get your eyes fixed on Jesus. Make your calling and your election sure. Have a steadfast look in the face of King Jesus. Be filled with the word of the Lord. For how else are you going to be able to stand against the wisdom and the words of the world? And then be filled with the Spirit of God who will endue you with power for service in the world and in His church. And I can guarantee you if you will do those things, you will live in such a way that you will discover that it is well worth dying for you. Finally, let me say this. If Jesus said this, if any of you want to be my follower or my disciple, you must set aside your selfish ambition. Shoulder your cross daily and follow me. If you try to keep your life for yourself, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find true life. And how do you benefit if you gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? In times past, we used to sing this chorus, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and His grace. By the grace of God and the mercy of God, you probably will never be called to give your life for your faith. However, you can never guarantee that. But I can say, I think with full confidence, 
if you, like Stephen, will fill your heart and mind with the word of the Lord, and you will seek the Lord regularly and daily, and you will saturate in His presence, and you will live a Spirit-filled life, you will be a witness. And no one will really have to teach you how to do that. It will just overflow out of your life because it will be who you are. Lord Jesus, we think about your servant Stephen and it is a great example for us. And he was just called to serve tables and maybe stir and serve out of the soup bowl at the table. But who knows what one man who thinks his calling might be simple or maybe not profound, perhaps not significant. But who, as John Wesley said, knows what God can do with one man who serves him with all of his heart. And I add, no matter what his vocation is, no matter what his gifting is, no matter his calling, Fill us, Lord, with yourself. May our eyes be fixed on you, the author and finisher of our faith, so that we may bear witness in a world that needs to see the light of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Lord bless you. Thanks for joining us at Central Church today. If you'd like to get involved, please visit us at centralnazarene.org.